So we often think of STEM as being this new thing. Computers, phones, robots, rockets. Well, STEM has been around for a long time. And, and some of the great STEM stories that we can help our kids learn about and experience are stories that they can hear from grandparents or relatives or people in your community. And today's episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast is a very special interview of my grandpa I did back in 2014. And he shared a number of really incredible stories of how he used STEM in his life, including something that connects to the Apollo 15 mission. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. So I've got a very special guest with me today. My grandpa is with me. Hi there, grandpa. Hi, Chris. My, my grandpa is a, is a very spry man born in 1925. Christmas Day, definitely a, a gift to our family. It was neat. Last night we were talking, started kindergarten, or no, he didn't have kindergarten. He started first grade when you were only four years old. He started because his sister was older and he had to walk to school with her because she couldn't walk alone. So starting first grade at age four, how old were you when you graduated? I graduated from high school when I was 16. 16. Then you, you said you had gone off and, and taken a college course. And I took a summer course at Dow Chemical for 90 days, and there were 60 of us. And when we're done with the course, they hired everyone who was 18 years old and didn't wear glasses. So I was a hanging out loose. So... Just because he wasn't he wasn't old enough, he uh, he didn't didn't get hired by Dow Chemical, but that ended up working out pretty well. Some of the really neat technology that I uh, I enjoy hearing my grandpa talk about is is some of the things that he did in communications and in radio when he was part of the Navy. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, from boot camp, they took me right when the things were getting uh, worse over in the islands, and they made a sixteen-week boot camp in. Four weeks and five days, yeah. Then you went and learned at, you call it communication school, or? Well, from boot camp, they gave us tests, and they selected about 5 to 10% of us and sent us to special schools. And the rest, many of them went right directly into the, what they called the amphibs for the landings in the island. I was fortunate that I had uh, typing in high school, and I got into radio communications, learning the Morse code to send it by hand and, and receive it on a typewriter. <laughs> and from that school, they sent 35 of us to down to Texas A&M for an advanced school in the use of the transmitters and receivers not just the copying. From there, they sent me to Cheltenham Navy Base out near Washington, D.C., and taught us about receivers, how to tune them and so forth. And after a couple of weeks there, they sent us to Annapolis to a transmitter station. We learned how to tune a transmitter. So you traveled a lot of different places. They yes. taught you a lot of different things. Yes, fortunately, if you know a little bit, they can take you and teach you so much more 
and you can use all these math things that you think nobody ever uses. <laughs> They're a big thing in the industrial world. Yeah. You were telling me, too, that you were one of the few kids in some of those classes that didn't have, didn't know about calculus or things like or that. Trigonometry. Yeah. I, I, had, I went to a small school, and they didn't teach those. There weren't enough students, hardly, to take algebra and geometry, but they were required. So you had to kind of pick it up along the way. I had to pick up enough to get past the tests. So you, you ended up in Washington, D.C., where you were getting signals all the way from... Well, it was Guam and Honolulu and one on the West Coast. Anyway, all these signals came into us where we they were printed out on a printer in Japanese and uh, punched a tape in the Bodo code that we could run through little tape readers and... Uh, break down the code of what they said and do things that suited us. A lot of technology was completely different than uh, technology today, but still at that time, I mean, did, did they ever use the phrase high-tech? I mean, they always say high-tech today. Oh, no. no. There wasn't any very much technical about driving horses. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, I mean, the things that you guys were doing there, I mean, you talked about you had to keep like a box that was a, almost like about a foot cube size, and it had a, a tuning fork. It had a tuning fork in it that set up the frequency to run the receiver faceplate. It was a mechanical faceplate with uh, five fingers on it to pick up the knowledge. And it sounded almost like if you could if you could imagine like a record you know, that kind of spins around in a circle. It was almost circular and... Yeah, that was, that's pretty much it. And they had the same one at the other end sending those signals and, and everything had to be... Yeah, ours had to be in synchronized spot on the disc to theirs. It, it was varied. If a, the code, the edge of the code was not exactly the same as theirs, it, it would send a little increase in... Uh, power to the tuning fork to heat the air in there would change the speed of the vibration hmm. and, or, or it could lower it but these would sit there 24 hours a day and run the same speed at both ends wow. all done mechanically yeah. now it's it's digital digital yeah uh, it's so much faster and yeah, so much harder for me to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandpa, one thing that's always amazed me about about you is when computers came along. I mean, you had, you got a computer and you wanted to figure out how to do it. You went and took classes and figured them out. And my grandpa's good. At, he'll email me, especially when I email him back, and uh, <laughs> he'll uh, he'll check Facebook and uh, all those things. So pretty pretty good for a young guy. Now you also worked once you got out of the service. You worked at a company, Echo. Correct. Made cables and all sorts of things. Pretty amazing opportunities just making metal cables for things. If uh, some company wanted a control made to a certain use, we would develop the controls and, and uh, send them samples, and they would make alterations and dimensions, possibly, and make them work yeah. to do, do a, whatever operation they wanted. We 
also made the control cables for the first moon buggy to feed the uh, clutch and the steering and the speed and so forth. And that can't be just a, a typical cable. You have to... That cable had to withstand extreme temperature and high temperature. And so you didn't have any plastic in it. That's for sure. Yeah. And then I thought it was interesting you told me how you had to make three of them. Well, we made three of everything and took one of them and ran it through a series of tests, destruction tests, and had to record all this information and sent it to NASA. And they took it and they destroyed one more. And if all those operated correctly, then they would put the third one in the moon buggy. Pretty neat to think that something that, that you've made is sitting up there probably still ready. Still ready to go. If we get back there, uh, <laughs> yeah. they can they can take a look at a part that my, my grandpa helped make. One of the other interesting things you were telling me about some of the cables. Tow cables for aircraft to fire at to, out over the oceans to uh, learn to handle their firing equipment. And... That was fine for a while, and then they got jet planes, and when the jet plane would turn and the flame would hit the cable, it would burn it in two. <laughs> so then we had to develop a coat, a coat of arms sort of, to fit over that. that would hang so many feet behind the jet so that when they turned, this covering cable would take the heat away from the operating cable so you had to you had to figure out different ways and different products and when there's one problem you gotta you gotta find a new new solution for it so thank you very much for listening to this special episode of the stem everyday podcast i hope that listening to these stories from my grandpa inspired you to reach out with your kids to the people that are in their lives the people in their communities and hear the stories, the amazing experiences uh, that your kids can learn from. If you want to connect with me, head to dailystem.com. You can always reach out to me through there. I'm always willing to help, especially if you need some ideas for how to do something like this with your kids. Until then, keep up the great work, educators. You're doing the most important work.